0: Whether they say it or not, it's the belief that what they've done is so bad, it is outside of the grace of God. And for a lot of men, they may even believe that grace is enough for everybody else. Grace is good for everyone else, but there's something in their lives that's so bad that there's no way that grace can include them. So I do think it's helpful for us just to talk today about kind of the understanding of what we believe about who God is, the, the nature of grace, and even the hope that comes from that. Um, we often talk about our hope isn't based upon who we are. Our, our hope is based upon who God is. And it's a combination of because of who God is and because of who God has created me to be, that is where we find our hope, and grace is what moves us forward in that hope.
1: podcast. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host. We're here today, as usual, with our host, Dr. Greg Miller. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. Fantastic. We're happy to have you, as always. And again, we have our special guest, the clinical director of Faithful and True, Jim Farm.
2: Yeah, good to be here, you guys. Great
1: to have you back with us, Jim. And uh, things went so well the last time you were on with us that the, the phones have been ringing off the hook with people <laughs> clamoring to have you back on. I couldn't get enough of you guys. Ah. <laughs> yeah, people, we find that happening all the time. So uh, what are you going to uh, talk with us about today?
2: Yeah, you know, we're, we're going to have the workshop again here uh, t- starting tomorrow. And by the way, Greg, you're. I want to say this actually just publicly yes greg is like one of the best speakers oh. <laughs> I, I do believe that yeah he's actually. well he's thank a, you
1: he is a gifted teacher and what was the other thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um no we're blessed to have greg as uh, when we lost dr mark laser in 2019 we were just kind of you know reaching out to the lord and saying how are we going to move forward how are we going to Continue the legacy that Mark and Debbie Laser uh, started here at Faithful and True, and just having Greg step up and uh assuming that role as uh, as the leader of our men's workshops uh, together with his wife Beth as they lead the couples workshops uh it, and then to take over the host role here with the podcast it's it's just it's amazing the job that you do and we, well, you. we appreciate you more than you yeah. we, we don't tell you often enough how much we appreciate <laughs> well, you. You have this <laughs> unique capacity Greg where
2: you know, you know how you sit in some workshop and you're like Where's the coffee? <laughs> Greg has this way of like keeping your attention, like with your analogies and your stories. He's you the just,
1: king of analogies.
2: <laughs> you're able to stay focused, so you're really, really yeah,
1: awesome. He's, well, he, thank you. He is a gifted teacher, and we're just really lucky to have him.
2: So, anyways, usually what comes up in these workshops is not uncommon that a guy will say, "Gosh, you know, with everything that I've done, and you know, these things that I've seen or experienced, I can't imagine that that God, you know." still loves me, mm-hmm. or that God is still with me. Right. You know, have I lost my salvation? We've even heard that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and I, I think another way that we hear it is, whether they say it or not, it's the belief that what they've done is so bad, it is outside of the grace of God. And for a lot of men, they may even believe that grace is enough for everybody else, grace is good for everyone else, but there's something in their lives that's so bad that there's no way that grace can include them. So I do think it's helpful for us just to talk today about kind of the understanding of what we believe about who God is, the, the nature of grace, and even the hope that comes from that. Um, we often talk about our hope isn't based upon who we are. Our, our hope is based upon who God is. And it's a combination of because of who God is and because of who God has created me to be, that is where we find our hope. And grace is what moves us forward in that hope.
2: Yeah, it's very complicated because a lot of times, you know, the guys that we work with, their first exposure, you know, to sexuality was when they were really young. Mm -hmm. And so just cognitively, if you can almost just kind of take our perspective. You know, out of our adult selves for a moment, and just put ourselves in maybe a, a little kid's mind or mm-hmm. an adolescent's mind, and maybe you know something just happened sexually, or they got exposed to something. From the little kid's mind, they're like, "I can't tell anybody this. Right. This is mm-hmm. so shameful." Mm-hmm. And so, and at the same time, they can't imagine. Well, God certainly wasn't a part of this. If I can't allow my parents into this, God's certainly not going to be a part of this. So they almost split off their spirituality from their sexuality.
0: Well, I think another piece of it is um, a lot of times when I'm working with someone and they are wanting to understand their relationship with God, they want to um, explore it. One of the ways that we talk about it is for most of us, our emotions and what we believe about God don't come from the scripture. They come from our experience with our parents. That's right. Um, that I often say, if if God is like your parents, who would God be like? And if God isn't like your parents, who would God be like? Yeah. Because there are so many strong associations that we have, because when we are children, if you think about it, our parents are God. Mm-hmm. They are the ones with all the power. They are all the, the ones that have the resources. They are the ones that determine you know what we are able to do or not do. And so, that presence of power in that way, it's natural that a child begins to associate the divine with their parents. And so, if they grew up in a home where um, a parent was angry pretty consistently, or absent pretty consistently, or inconsistent, I begin to believe those are the attributes of God. So, it makes sense that I, as a child, when I'm unable to tell my parents who are godlike for me, I immediately begin to believe, and I cannot tell God. Because yeah. what is true for my parents must also be true for God.
2: Yeah, yeah. I love how you say that, because Mark used to do this exercise. I don't know if you remember him doing this, but he used to have guys in group kind of say, if, if Christ were in this room right now, what would be his facial expression when he's looking at you? Mm-hmm. Would he be smiling? Would he be frowning? And does that remind you of someone else? Right. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's really telling in regards to our perspective of God when, you know, if he's looking at us, what's his facial expression? Right.
0: I think one of the reasons that we are drawn towards the images of Jesus with children is that we can believe that Jesus could have compassion for children. We struggle believing that Jesus can still have compassion for us because of the choices that we made and the things that we've done. And I think what's also true is a large number of the people who come through our workshops grew up in the church. And in many cases, instead of the church being helpful in them navigating this, the church actually contributed to the chaos that they were experiencing. Because not only was it something that they struggled telling their parents about, it was something that they struggled being honest with the church about. And there, there is a category of church, I, I refer to it as performance-based faith, And for the people who have listened to our workshop, uh, listened to the podcast, they may know that several years ago I did a a research project specifically looking at some of the contributing factors to shame. And what I looked at was performance-based faith. And the way that I defined it is performance-based faith occurs when righteousness is identified with behavior. The motivation of the uh, faith is um, fear. And the the foundation of the theology is shame. So, when there's fear, there's shame, and then there's a behavioral motivation, it makes perfect sense that that's going to increase my shame. So, for a lot of people who come to our workshop, they'll say, I don't know why I struggled with this. I went to church, I was a part of a good Christian family. But as we unpack some of their experiences at church, we begin to see. Okay, some of the contributing factor to your shame was actually the way that you experienced church.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think it's not only that in terms of what did we experience in terms of, you know, maybe what was told to us or what was said to us or how did they respond to us, it may have been what they didn't say. Right. You know, if they didn't talk about sex, if they didn't talk about struggles with pornography, That's probably not too inviting for us to talk about that if we're struggling with that. Right.
0: Well, it's incredibly difficult for us to be the one to initiate a conversation about something that we already have tremendous shame about. One of the things I do see as a message of hope for a lot of churches is we are hearing more and more about churches that are regularly talking about recovery. Um, No matter what it is that somebody may be recovering from, whether it's a substance or a behavior, we're hearing of churches that are engaging the topic of healthy sexuality and redemptive sexuality and even talking about pornography. Because if I show up in a congregation and I'm hearing this talked about, not in a shaming, judgmental way, but in an invitational way from the pulpit, then I'm going to begin to believe that that is a language that is spoken here, and I'm going to be more comfortable when I feel safe enough to begin to talk about it myself.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's you know what we're looking for in terms of you know having you know, changed experiences around us that we can start to bring it into the open, that we start to recognize God hasn't left us. Right. You know, because there's people that do open themselves up to us or welcome us in, even though we have a story.
0: Yeah. One of the things I think is significant is I think the writers of the scripture knew that this was going to be such a significant issue that they actually included some very clear scripture to help us. And I think one of them is that idea of there is nothing that we can do that will separate us from God's love. And then there's this long list of things. And even with all of this, there is nothing that separates us from God's love. And one of the kind of things that we might get caught up on is we don't separate consequences from love. Just because there's consequences for our choices, just because there are things that follow our decisions, doesn't mean that we are no longer loved. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm driving while I'm intoxicated, um, that could lead to an accident. That is a, a natural consequence. I'm not coherent. I'm not aware, and so therefore I'm not safe in my driving. It makes sense that I have an accident. Just because a consequence of my drinking is that I have an accident doesn't mean that suddenly God's love is removed from me. And that's one of the things I think that we have to really work on is to not see um, the presence of God in our life dependent upon good things happening in our life. And there's a theology out there that says if Good things are happening to me, I am being blessed by God. If bad things are happening to me, I must be cursed by God. And so, therefore, if I'm blessed, I'm loved. If I'm cursed, I'm not. And so, when I begin to evaluate, judge, or evaluate God's love and use my circumstances to do that, I'm not going to have a clear understanding of who God is. Yeah,
2: yeah. And a lot of our upbringing has a lot to do with that in terms of conditional love. Right. You know, was discipline you know correction you know accompanied by a a sense of love and connection or was it you know disconnection right or even significant punishment
0: well and there's this natural reaction that i think can occur when i have been hurt by someone or i'm disappointed in them i pull away in order to create safety for myself i withdraw and so it it may be an unconscious thing it may not be an intentional thing But there's a subtle message in that when a parent withdraws from a child after punishing or after correcting, when that happens, then the child begins to believe, oh, relational distance or um, someone removing themselves from me is a consequence of my choice. And so if my parents do that, then that must also be true um, about God, that God removes you know, the divine presence from me when God is angry or hurt or disappointed in me because that's what my parents do. That must be what God does also. Yeah. And I think that's one of the healing things that
2: happens in our groups or even on these workshop weekends where we do our small groups where, you know, a guy shares his whole story. Mm -hmm. Like you often say the 15, 20% or whatever number you choose (laughs) on that weekend, you know, and People don't say, man, you're what's wrong with you, you know, or, you know, any
0: negative things, but they, they still love the guy, yeah. you know. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about grace, yeah. because I do think that grace is incredibly complex. And one of the things I say at the workshop is, I don't think anybody's life has ever been changed because they've been taught about grace. I don't think anybody's life has been changed because they read about grace. I think we are transformed when we experience grace, and the only way that we can experience grace is in community. Mm -hmm. Um, I cannot experience grace in isolation, and uh, I think a, a misunderstanding that we might have is that grace is this miraculous thing like fairy dust that just sprinkles down on us that transforms us. I think it's much more experiential to that. Um, And so, when I'm in a community like you've mentioned, and these people hear my story and they know me and they still move towards me and accept me, that is grace. Um, You know, we we say at the workshop to the extent that I am known is the extent that I can be loved. To the extent that I am known is the extent that I can be forgiven. Um, When my my confessions are vague, then the grace is vague. And so there is something powerful about being very clear in this redemptive, transformative community about who I am and the choices I've made. And the key is, it's not a confession out of shame. It's simply an acknowledgement of truth. This is the truth of who I am. Um, it's the principle that I often say, whatever is true is true. I can rationalize it, justify it, minimize it, and even deny it, and it doesn't change it when I'm able to live in even painful truth, I can experience freedom.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. You know, the, the one thing I wanted to kind of touch on before we run out of time, I don't know how much time we have, is the—is um, this, this message I often talk about in terms of the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to go into our little divinity stuff mm-hmm. for a break. So one of the things I often teach about, you know, in terms of, you know, can we trust that, that God is still with us despite our story, is I usually go to the Garden of Gethsemane, so. Remember, when, when Jesus is there, you know, his three buddies can't stay awake, you know, and, and the Bible describes him being in agony, mm-hmm. you know, we get that Greek term uh, agonia, which mm-hmm. is very fascinating, if you remember this from seminary, but the only time, it's only used once. So you're assuming
0: this. I stayed awake during grief, Yes, I'm assuming I, I, I it wasn't I did three <laughs> sleeping
2: or four <laughs> sleeping. <laughs> so, so this term agonia is only used once in the whole Bible, it's, mm-hmm. and it's in this example, and The thing that really caught me about this was this is the term that was used to describe the 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 men that were in the um, gladiators. So imagine that Mm -hmm. the death, you know, this perspective of death, you know, anxiety, fear, loneliness that you would experience in going to death. That's what Jesus is experiencing there, Mm -hmm. and he goes and prays to the Father that this cup would be taken. And I always wondered, well, what's the cup? And our natural instinct is to think, well, it's the whippings and the humiliation, but I've come to believe and I'm interested in your thought on this, Greg I think Jesus is actually the cup he's talking about is the cup of isolation because he doesn't resist at all in the next couple of days except what comes before he with dies mm-hmm. yeah. when he says, my God, why have you left me or abandoned me or forsaken me
1: Forsaken me. Yeah.
2: and I think about all the promises for, you know, in the Bible where he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you I love the Greek of this because the Greek often has more meaning than the English mm-hmm. Um except for the word never. (laughs) Never's never. (laughs) And I always tell guys, there was no asterisk, like, well, if you had an affair, or, you know, if you hired an escort, never was never. You know what I mean? And so part of that is recovering that sense that, you know, God must have left me back there when I made those choices. And I always point out, you know, the prodigal son, who created the distance. Mm -hmm. I forget, I mean, John Ortberg, I forget who said it, but he said, you know, the best place to find God is actually where you left
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, I, I would also say that the idea of um, isolation as the greatest weight, because when I am isolated, I am outside of the truth of who God created me to be. Yes. You know, the, the one thing that was not good about creation was for people to be alone. And so if we are in isolation, in our shame, we are outside of God's intent and God's creation. And so that that sense of grace is that invitation to return back home. And using the story of that prodigal son, the only thing that he had to do was come to his senses. And I think the coming to the senses is that awakening to the truth and the reality of where I am. And then that process of making my my way back home. But I, I can't recognize where I am if I'm living outside of truth. And sometimes it is in community that I can see more clearly the truth of who I am and the truth of who God is. It's that, that judgment that I may have on myself or that I may be experiencing from others that what I've done is too much it's that being reminded again of the truth that God talks about is there's nothing that I can do that will separate us. Right. When, one thing I would also add is my experiences personally and working with others, we talk a lot about grace and ultimately we don't like grace. Um, grace means that we are powerless. Grace means that there is nothing that we can do. Um, there's nothing positive that we can do to get a little extra. You know, it's that ongoing conversation of who gets to sit next to Jesus. Surely I'm good enough. You know, it's kind of like You know, we are part of a hotel plan where you get enough points, you get a special status. Maybe I'm working so hard in my spirituality that I get diamond status, you know, with Jesus and get a better seat. But the reality is that grace means that all of those accomplishments have nothing to do with what I do. It has everything to do with what God has done. And so we have to surrender to the reality that there's nothing I can do that is so bad that I'm outside of grace and there's nothing that I do that is so good that enhances the grace. Mm-hmm. It is about who God is and how God responds. And so when a man is in that place of, oh, my gosh, what I've done is so bad, what we know is he is outside of the truth, the truth of who he is and the truth of who God is. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, love the, I love that you use the word truth because it means, you know, in the Greek, it, the word aletheia means reality. That's mm-hmm. what's real. right? You know, and it's our illusions. You know, you just, you just described our illusions, like I need to perform in order to be accepted or I perform too poorly so I'm not accepted. And those are illusions.
0: Yeah, and mm-hmm. even the idea, I think in our culture we hear the word truth and it can feel as if it is the, the case building. It's getting ready to defend ourselves in a court, or a court of law. And so we have this misconception that truth is the accurate depiction of the facts. What I'm talking about is what you said, that truth that transcends, that truth that is beyond time and circumstances, that truth that is eternal. That is the truth mm-hmm. that sets us free. That is the truth of who God is and the truth of who we are. And we also have to acknowledge that we see through the, the lens um, dimly. We don't fully see, and that's the invitation to continue, that I continue to grow in my capacity to live in the truth. versus truth is something that I possess, or truth is something that I own, or truth is something that I buy or purchase. Truth is something that I experience, and in that experience, I can be transformed. So are you saying recovery never ends? Yes. Well, (laughs) it does, because what's interesting, again, we often talk at the workshop that recovery is the journey, the process of becoming the person that God created me to be. The beauty of it is, At some point, it is less about the behavior that got me into recovery or the substance that got me into recovery. It becomes more about this journey. And what's also true is it is an ongoing journey of moving towards those things that I want to avoid. I was just connecting with a friend this morning about this idea, and he was just checking in. Why do we have to feel sad? Why do we have to move towards this? And it's that principle that in order to heal it, it has to be exposed. In order to heal our grief, we have to feel our grief. But the promise is if we move towards it, we can then move through it, and then we can move beyond it. And what we are avoiding, back to that, whether it's 10% or 15%, the stuff that I'm not dealing with, the stuff that I'm not talking about is actually the stuff that defines me the most. And if I'm avoiding pain, if I've created a life of avoiding pain, I'm also creating a life avoiding grace because it's in that space of pain that I also need the grace that is available to me because that grace is what brings the hope and the healing in the midst of the pain. And it's that promise of God has never promised to rescue us from the grief and the pain. The promise is God will be with us in the grief and the pain. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So the the follow-up, you know, a lot of guys will say, well, I know God loves me. But it doesn't feel that way. Right. And that's where, you know we have to integrate that experience that you were talking about. experiences
0: where we experience God's love through others, that what we know to be true is now experienced to be true. Right. Well, and that's the, again, back to the community. I experience God's love in the context of community. So if I'm in isolation, it makes perfect sense that I'm struggling to know that God loves me. If I base God's love on my circumstances, It's difficult for me to know that God loves me, but if I'm in a community of people that love God and they are expressing love towards me, that's how I can know that God loves me. You know that love. You remember how I said that um, in that performance-based faith, the motivation is fear, but in the redemptive community, the motivation is love. You know, in the performance-based faith, the theology is based upon shame, but in the redemptive community, it's based upon truth. And in the uh, performance-based faith, righteousness is defined by behavior. um, But in the redemptive community, righteousness is defined by the goodness of God. It's not about what I do. It's about who God is. That's where we
1: can be transformed. Yeah,
2: good stuff, Greg.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Great stuff. Well, our time has come. We have have to wrap up uh, our podcast for today, but we want to thank everyone for listening or viewing today's podcast. Uh, We hope that uh, today's message has been enlightening to you, uh, and we hope that you can join us again soon. We want to thank Jim Farm for joining us again today. As always, it's a a pleasure to have you with us. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I know that Greg and I both really enjoy it, and despite what Greg has said, (laughs) I'll be here again next time. So... Uh, We want to thank you for for all of your participation and sharing your experience and wisdom. Uh, For all of you out there, if you're hearing this message and you feel that uh, your eyes have been opened to the fact that you have a struggle that you need to finally uh, open your eyes and confront, Faithful and True is here to help. We can help. Visit faithfulandtrue.com where you'll find all kinds of resources Uh, If you're struggling with sexual addiction or pornography addiction, uh, it's... What we've been doing for over thirty years here. Founded by Mark and Debbie Laser, Faithful and True has helped countless people on their healing journey from sex addiction and unwanted sexual behavior. So visit faithfulandtrue.com. Visit our men's journey workshop page where you'll find online registration for our workshop that we do every month here at Faithful and True. We'd love to have you Register and uh, come visit us. Until then, we hope that this coming week for you will be a week that's filled with many blessings and with great vision.